Good morning. I'd like to talk a little bit about the coming year. This is New Year's Eve, so we're looking to rejoice about a new coming year. I'd like to read you a scripture, which is 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 to 3. It's Paul writing to the Corinthians, having to justify himself. He says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You know, we're living through difficult days. As Christians, we're seen as narrow-minded bigots, unyielding characters who are out of step with the rest of the world. And we must be opposed using the law or anything else. If we go public in our faith and let our views be made known, all hell breaks loose. Remember, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with rulers and powers, kingdoms and principalities in the heavenlies. We're called upon to endure until the end and not lose sight of the goal, which is Jesus receiving the glory as his kingdom comes sweeping in. To that end, we need to remember to live again the simplicity of Christ. And that's what I want to talk about today, the simplicity, the devotion to Christ. You know, Paul says here that the obstacle to that being uh, working out in our lives is being deceived by the devil's craftiness. I just looked at what the devil did in chapter 3 of Genesis and here's a quick analysis. The devil made the first move. The second thing he does, he accuses God. Has God really said that, is what he said. He sows elements of doubt. Then he blatantly lies and says, you shall not die. He backs up the lie with an accusation that God is unjust and selfish. God's got it all, he doesn't want you to have it. Then he builds on Eve's desire. She thought that the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and made one wise. And you know, right at the other end of the Bible, in the first letter of John, verse two and chapter two and verse sixteen, he says exactly that same thing. I won't read it to you, you can look it up yourself. Now I'd like to just consider some of this as a bit of a meditation. It's designed to make us ponder and think a little bit about what's happening. It may not go anywhere in one sense, but it's, it's something like leaven that just affects your life. You know, the word selah, we're not actually sure what it means. In the Hebrew, we've taken it to mean pause. But you can get something like this, Psalm 32, where... The writer writes things and he says, Selah. Then writes some more, there's Selah. You pause to consider these things. So I want you to pause and think about some of these things. Now I'm going back to 2 Corinthians 11. There's various renderings of this, uh, renditions of this verse. There's the innocence you have in Christ. Seduced from a single devotion to Christ. Simple purity of your love for Christ. We must never lose the simplicity of Christ. 
we work in a busy world and in the Christian world we have right desires and good reasons to be busy. It's good to stop periodically and ask ourselves, is Jesus central to all that I think and do? Have I lost sight of the preciousness of Jesus? Can I, do I, as it were, rest on the loving breast of Jesus Christ? The first scripture I'd like to share with you is 2 Corinthians 5.14. It's one of my favourite. It very simply says, the love of Christ constrains us or controls us. What we do, we do for the love of Christ. When Paul wrote verse 14 that I've just read, he touched the hearts and our hearts for our motivation for worship, working and witness. He was saying that the why comes before the what. Why do I do what I do? If you get the order wrong, what I do I know, but why I do it I don't know, then you'll end up confused, frustrated, bitter and resentful and unmotivated. But Paul was saying that I worship because he loves me. And because he loved me, he died for me. That's why we worship. Never mind Oriel, he's worth it. And Paul says that we works, or he works, because the kingdom that he's a citizen of is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is just not a theological statement, but about being right with God. This means I'm at peace and have peace with God, which is my basis for the joy, which is consequential and experiential. In consequence of my being loved by God, I have joy, and that joy spreads out into my life, and the Holy Spirit works in those things. The second area I'd like to just point out is from, actually it's from Isaiah 44. My wife taught me a chorus when we first met. It's a chorus that comes from Isaiah 44, verses 22 and 3. And this is all about the simplicity of sins forgiven. Perhaps sin never bothered you. You accepted your need for forgiveness. You gratefully received it and everything was okay. But others have been so weighed down, they're like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress with this huge burden on his back that rolled away when he came to the cross. Perhaps that's you. If we lose sight of what sin really is, as seen in the cross, we can be tempted again. And as a child is full of joy at their parents' approval, how much more us being free from sin's power and penalty. We should keep the simplicity of sins forgiven right before our eyes. Then there's another verse that talks about the simplicity of freedom from legalism. What do I mean? You know, there are two laws in the Old Testament. There's the law that uh, we associate with Moses. He wrote it down when God dictated it. And that law is like a straight line that shows how crooked we are. Secondly, there's an inward law that precedes the Old Testament law and holds sway even if we don't know it. We're, it's been there all along. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans when it comes down to the personal. This law was something that God put within us as a confirmation of his grace and his mercy, his freedom, his creativity, his loving nature. A reflection of him in our conscious, 
consciousness and our conscience. But because sin corrupted us, it instead shows us all that we're not. And it became our accuser and the basis of condemnation. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I've spent many an hour with people who are living a condemned life and need to realise that there's no condemnation to those in Christ. It's the tyranny of the oughts. I ought to be more spiritual. I ought to be more holy. I ought to read my Bible more. I ought to witness more. And you name it. And you're held in captivity for, by those things. But in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6 and 7, I'll read you something. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. As you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. The simplicity of Christ. When you came to Christ, it was simple. He loved you. He convicted you. You surrendered your life and you said, I'll do what you want, Lord. And that's what you need to get back to. And these other things crowd in and the devil comes and uses them. But you're free from this accuser. You're free. Let me tell you this. If it's not love working in your life, it's not God. If it's confusing, it's not God. And you can be uh, confused and feel unloved. But I'll tell you, that's not God at work. God's work is to deliver you from these things. So that's another simplicity thing. There's the simplicity of not needing another Jesus. Now, what do I mean by this? So often you hear people who will talk about another Jesus than the Jesus you know. Maybe a more powerful Jesus who can make you a success. Or an all-problem-solving Jesus who removes all difficulties. An all-faith-motivated Jesus, if you haven't got the faith, or you lack the faith, you won't get it. Well, sometimes you get an all-special Jesus who reveals himself to the special anointed ones only. You know, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, where we read, that we're betrothed to Christ. That's the contract that we have with him. We're legally his. And, and he's the one that we've been introduced to. And that's the one we should get to know intimately. Not another. He doesn't change. If you were marrying someone and you found out that your wife was not the person you thought she was, a to totally different person, you'd be disappointed. There are people who are disappointed now because they've been told, look, you need another Jesus, not the one that you've got to know. But I want to tell you, go back to the simplicity. The simplicity of Jesus. And the last scripture I'd like to share with you comes from 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1. It says this, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek. You know, if Jesus overcame the world by meekness and gentleness, do we think we can do it by other means? We so often think that we have to be dynamic characters doing this and that. But Jesus came in meekness 
and gentleness and overcame the world. Jesus promised us power and authority, but not worldly power, not domination. We're not dominating people. You know, it's said of the American right wing, and that includes a lot of Christians, they gained power but lost authority. Do you recognise this church? They seek to live their faith. They believe everyone in the country should follow God. They believe in power and authority. They believe that government should pass spiritual laws. They have strong views on Israel. They believe false religion is anathema. Well, that church is us. But it's also the Taliban. What's the difference between us and the Taliban? It's the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. It's that that has undone so many power brokers who have thought that power was the way forward. But the meekness and gentleness of Jesus is what broke the power of so many of these things. This eventually earns and gets the ear of people. Now, we talked about craftiness and subtlety, the way the devil works. These things don't come up in your face. If you have a knock on the door and you open the door and there's a smell of sulphur and a person dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork, you say, there's some problem here. This is not right. But that's not how the devil comes. He creeps up unawares. We don't mean to replace Jesus with things or ideas, or overwork, or personal goals. They simply insinuate themselves into our minds and then our actions. We're all called to worship, to work and witness. That never changes. So I'm not saying you don't do all these things, you work. But our motivation is simply putting Jesus in the centre. Knowing the simplicity of that relationship. The joy of communion with our God. Christianity is Christ Jesus and knowing him. So maybe before this year starts, there's a time for us to stop and rededicate ourselves and put aside some of the things that maybe have taken his place and pursue him. Pursue him. Jesus said, you know, you've got to knock and it will be opened. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. There's something not passive in that, but active. You go after knowing God and pursuing him. It will result in worship, work and witness without doubt. But it will be joy, a joy because it's a labour of love. So let's go into this new year having Jesus as the centre of everything that we do and our devotion and love for him causing us to do the labours that we do, which will, I trust, be many, but the motivation is there. So let's do that.